someone, we'll call him Jack, recently told me that he'd be seeing a bunch of his big government friends at an upcoming wedding. Jack asked me for tips as to how to handle inevitable disagreements and defend free markets. Markets. The following is a suite of tips I sent Jack's way. It's a hodgepodge of rhetoric, debate tactics, explanations, and insights from economics and epistemology. People are complicated, and dialogue can be messy. Messy. 1. Brush past character slanders. It's called having empathy, they might say. Or, you don't care about poor people. Or, so you hate America? Or, of course, that's racist or sexist or whatever. You know how it goes. It's all very boring. Boring. Tempting as it may be, do not go on the defensive. Don't say something like, no, no, I do care, I promise. First of all, you've already allowed your interlocutor to shift the conversation away from the problem situation at hand to a conversation about your character. Character. You're no longer defending free markets. You're defending yourself. How's that going to persuade anyone of your ideas? ideas? Secondly, you've shown the interlocutor that you care what he thinks of you enough that any time he slanders you, you'll drop the main topic and defend your honor. In other words, he owns you, and he knows it. Knows it. Don't take the bait. Much better than weak-kneed, defensive responses are retorts such as, you're attacking me, not my argument, or that's not an argument, or that's not a criticism of what I just said, or you haven't refuted my idea. idea. More generally, if they respond with a non-argument, politely call it out as such. Such. Two, don't let them move the goalposts. Posts. You explain how and why private property and free trade works better than public property and taxation. Instead of offering a counterpoint, they call you utopian or idealistic or naive. See point one. Point one. More interestingly, instead of calling you names, maybe they reply by asking you how we could possibly get to a stateless society from where we are now. But wait, see what they did? They moved the goalposts. Don't follow their lead. If the topic of conversation was comparing and contrasting public property and private property, stick to that. If you've explained why the latter is superior to the former, don't let them get away with switching topics. With respect to this example in particular, the conflation of comparing public property and private property with how to shrink the state is extremely common. When it happens, expose it for the mistake that it is. is. 3. Hypothetical catastrophes go both ways, and there are no guarantees. They may ask you, how would a stateless society deal with a crazy individual with a nuke? Or... What happens if a bunch of security agencies gang up and take over your town? Or what if there's only one food provider and that company chooses not to sell their goods to people? To people. Most libertarians have encountered this kind of questioning. Implied in it is that a state can somehow guarantee that disaster will never strike, that governments are magical problem-solving machines. Means. While exploring stress-inducing hypotheticals is very interesting, the burden of proof is not on the free market advocate. Solutions are never guaranteed whether a society has a state or not. Or not. 
the best we can do is compare the attributes of various cultures and institutions. Predicting what will happen under such and such conditions is impossible, since people are inherently unpredictable. If that doesn't satisfy you, take it up with the laws of nature. Nature. 4. Stick to the fundamentals as best you can. Whether they're arguing for universal health care, welfare, or any other goods as rights, don't bother getting into the nitty-gritty of the details of that particular industry. One such fundamental you should stick to is the fact that mankind was born into utter poverty. Poverty. Our ancestors created goods and services through ingenuity in cultures that adequately valued progress and respected private property rights. If you want more goods and services, and at ever lower prices and ever greater quality, then you should call for precisely the aforementioned civilizational ingredients. Ingredients. No amount of governmental force, taxation, and legislation can magically conjure wealth, including whatever good or service you have in mind, into existence. Another fundamental point you should stick to is that wealth is not a fixed pie. This fact implies that economic inequality is morally irrelevant. Full stop. Stop. It also implies that we want to optimize the conditions that best lend themselves to wealth creation. See the above discussion about how mankind was born into utter poverty and how mankind lifted itself out of that state. State. Another fundamental, free trade and private property better lend themselves to error correction and wealth creation than do taxation and public property. It's a mouthful, but this is the money shot. Money shot. Private property allows individuals to calculate profit loss, solve potential tragedy of the commons issues, and harmonize their own interests with those of the rest of society. Society. Free trade allows for mutually beneficial interactions between individuals. Public property makes profit-loss calculation impossible, engenders tragedy of the commons, and causes conflict over how to employ public resources. Taxation raises the cost of creativity, wealth creation, and pro-civilizational activity more broadly. 5. Don't play the studies show game. One way political arguments go sideways is that the interlocutors throw studies at each other that quote-unquote support their respective positions. You're just lobbing Pokemon at each other until one person runs out of them, making the discussion more a battle of memory than one of ideas. Reject this game entirely. Entirely. You may be asked, so no amount of data could change your mind about the minimum wage or universal health care or anti-discrimination laws? To which a good response is correct. It's not a question of data, of which there is an infinite amount to cherry-pick anyway. It's a question of what our best economic and epistemological explanations say about the conditions under which wealth can and cannot grow. Grow. For instance, a society could become wealthier while price controls are implemented. Without theory, we cannot say whether the growth of wealth was because of, despite, or independent of the price controls. We live in a culture that mistakenly venerates data over theory. Who cares? Bite the bullet. Bullet. I could go on, but I'll stop here for brevity's sake. Hopefully this is helpful. Let me know.